Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to have you out this morning. Happy Father's Day, all the dads in the place. Uh, if you are uh, new here, every Sunday we have uh, that program that Clark talked about in the middle of that. It's got a, uh, the sermon notes from the sermon this morning, and sometimes it just helps to engage and stay focused and uh, let it sink in a little bit deeper if you take notes. And so inside that program, there's a little sheet in there that has all the sermon notes from this morning and some blanks to fill in, all that kind of stuff. Um, half of my family background is American, and the other half of my family uh, is, is Canadian. Some of you know that, a lot of you don't. But my mom's side of the family is all American, uh, California, Oregon, um, even some roots way back in Washington State. My dad's side of the family is, is all Canadian. And on my dad's side of the family, uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time with my dad's side of the family, there was a lot of um, spoken rules and unspoken rules when it came to communication, conversation, all those kinds of things. Some of the rules were kind of common rules that I think most of us would probably abide by. Things like if you can't think of anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Anybody else have that rule growing up? Yeah, a lot of us. Um, another one, be quick to listen, slow to speak. But uh, towering above all the rules, both unspoken and spoken, was one biggie. And maybe some of you had this um, that grew up in an American culture, but in Canadian culture, this rule was very, very big, and that's what, the rule is this. When it, when it comes to large family gatherings, there are two topics that are absolutely off limits you just don't talk about. Does anybody know what those two topics are? Maybe you had them too. Religion and politics. Okay, you just don't talk about religion and politics. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about both of them here. And so for this Canadian guy, this is total taboo. Now, you've got to understand something about Canadians. Canadians just don't talk about politics at all. Like if you were to drive through uh, Canada during election season, you're, you're not going to see a whole lot of signs out on front lawns uh, stating which, which politician, which candidate that they're endorsing or which uh, different viewpoints that they endorse. Canadians just don't talk about that kind of stuff. Keep it very, very, very personal, very private. So this morning... Um, I'm going to just turn down the volume on that little Canadian voice in my head saying, don't go there. And I'm going to turn up that American voice in, my, in me that's saying, bring it on. Okay, sound good? All right. And the other half of you going, Rich, you're absolutely crazy. This is a stupid thing to be talking about. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you know, um, this election season um, is unprecedented in American history. It's an election that's cycle that's absolutely full of surprises. Um, no one has any idea what could happen between now and November. And on top of all that, the political climate that we're living in is more divisive than ever. Um, Orlando has shone a spotlight on just how divisive um, the, the climate is. When it gets to the place where you can't love on people who are living in their darkest hour um, without it getting heavily, heavily politicized, you know that things have gotten pretty bad. Um, a quick read through the comment section of any political article will just be, you'll be inundated with hateful, self-righteous, intolerant, violent comments and rhetoric, um, all coming at you from both sides of the political spectrum. And politics are, are one of the most contentious, touchy sub topics out there because the thing about politics is that everybody has an opinion and everybody thinks that their opinion is the right opinion. Politics are a divisive subject. And it may surprise you, but in this room right now, there are people of all different political viewpoints. 
In fact, I don't want to freak you out this morning, but you might just be sitting beside one of them today, okay? You just might be. And my guess is that regardless of all of our different political viewpoints, most of us could argue our viewpoints from Scripture. So you've got the Republicans who would say Jesus was all about personal accountability and responsibility, so he must be Republican. The Democrat would say that Jesus' concern for the poor and the outcast proves that he was a Democrat. On top of that, he was healing everyone, so he must believe in free health care for all. <laughs> the Libertarian would point out how Jesus was anti-establishment, and they'd point out to how he said that, that who the sun sets free is free indeed. Um, the, the member of the Green Party would point to Gen- Genesis and how God gave mankind this, this great big order to go out and um, take dominion over the whole earth and how that should be our top concern. Everyone's got an opinion, and they all think they're right. In fact, many, I've seen this in the church, where many believe so strongly that their political party, their political persuasion is the right one, that they even question the faith of those who affiliate with the other party that they don't agree with. Sometime just for fun, walk into a church wearing a Hillary Clinton t-shirt and carrying a Bible. Try that in Linden sometime and see what happens. (laughs) Or go to a church in downtown Bellingham wearing a red Trump hat and carrying your Bible. You might not walk out alive. But politics, whether you like them or not, they play a big, big role in, in our nation. In heading into an election year, this, is, an, this is, is, is more at the forefront than ever. So it's important that we talk about politics as a church. Now, something you've you got to understand right off the shoot about our church here is that we are not a political church. So there's a number of us pastors in the county that are collaborating on this whole taboo topic. And one of the guys talked about how he was down in L.A. during an election cycle one time. And the pastor, actually, um, he had either the, the political candidates on stage or they had them on screen. And he said, here's the people that you need to be voting for this November. We will not be doing that here, okay? We're not going to go there. Um, so, uh, but here's where we are going to go. We're going to look at how your faith and how politics should go hand in hand. And the challenge for us this morning and for the next several months as we look into this taboo series, we look at all these different topics, the challenge for us this morning is going to be to look at these through a, real, a Christian worldview. And for us this morning, the challenge is can you put your faith before your, your politics? Can you put your faith before your politics? Putting your faith before your politics is different than putting your faith alongside of your politics. Because Jesus made it very clear that he's to be number one in our lives. He's to, be, he's to come first. He's to be above everything, including politics. And so we're going to look at what it, what it means to, to integrate your faith and your politics and to come out at your politics from a biblical worldview. And, and that's, as followers of Jesus, everything that we, we touch in life, everything that we go about, we should be going at it from a biblical worldview because we believe that the Bible is, is truth. Your worldview is the, it's the lens through which you see the world around you. It's the lens through which you see, see culture. And so the challenge is to see that through one that's biblical rather than one that's not. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to put your faith before your politics by going to Scripture. And the story that we're going to look at in the Bible today 
is um, it, there's a conversation going on between Jesus and there's, there's three parties actually. There's Jesus, there's a religious group, a re- group of religious leaders called the Pharisees, and then there's this other group uh, called the Herodians that were a political party of, of his day. And we find all three, or these two parties, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they, they, they seemingly trap Jesus in the middle of this politically charged conversation. And so we're going to look at this conversation. It's found in, in the book of Matthew, and we read this. It's going to be up on the screens this morning. Then the Pharisees went out, and they laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their, so you're going to find out in a little bit why the Pharisees, like why would someone want to trap Jesus? He loved everybody, he was so kind, but, but there was a group of people, the Pharisees, they wanted to trap Jesus. So they go out with this plan. And they, the Pharisees, they, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? So when a group of religious leaders and politicians approaches you at the same time, flatter you, and then ask, what is your opinion? Look out, okay? They ask Jesus a question that, that sounds pretty harmless, but when you understand the backstory, it's about the, the most politically charged question that they could have asked him in that day. And the question is simply this. They asked him, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? or not. So Caesar was the big, he was the the ruler of Rome, and they want to know, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? They set a very well-laid trap for Jesus. You see, and here's why. The Pharisees, they absolutely opposed Caesar in Rome. They were the purists who viewed with utter contempt any attempts by the big, bad, Roman government to intrude on their lives. Does this sound like any political party that we might have be familiar with here in our day? The Herodians, on the other hand, they actively supported government's larger role in the lives of Jewish citizens. They favored changing with the times. And again, does this sound like any political party that, that we might be familiar with today? The Pharisees and the Herodians, so you've got Pharisees over here, Herodians on this hand, they actually were very, very opposed to one another. They despised one another. They hated one another. They did not get together um, and, and make plans together. However, they were totally united around their hatred of a com- common enemy. That enemy of theirs was none other than Jesus. They wanted Jesus dead, and so they unite in order to trap Jesus with the intention of eventually killing Jesus. And some think that Jesus was like Mr. Rogers. No. Nobody wanted Mr. Rogers dead. So at first sight, their question, it seemed like the perfect question to help them achieve their end. You know, if Jesus answers, don't pay taxes to Caesar, he's going to be accused of, of insurrection, of being a rebel who opposes the authority of Rome. But on the other hand, if Jesus says, yeah, pay taxes to Rome, then what he's going to do if he says that is he's going to push away, he's going to alienate all the Jewish community. The Roman government was a violently oppressive, mean government. To tell them to pay taxes was to side with Rome, the same government that had been laying impossible tax burdens on them and crucifying um, their men and women in the streets. 
So Jesus, as you can see, he's got a conundrum on his hands. It would be no different than if you were to ask me this morning, Rich, what are your views on immigration? No matter how I answer that question up here this morning, there are going to be some in this room that are not going to like the answer. It's a no-win question for me in this environment. And it appears like these guys have successfully trapped Jesus. No matter how he answers, he's going to set off a firestorm. Not only that, but he's going to detract from the mission that he's on. But this is Jesus we're talking about here. And the answer that he gives is sheer genius. It's absolutely brilliant. And it also shows that they were right in saying he doesn't care about people's opinions because he's about to call them hypocrites to their face. And I've never called anyone a hypocrite to their face. Jesus does all the time. There was a reason why he was a man with a, um, uh, they wanted him dead. <laughs> the Bible says this, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this? Or whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give to, back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. And in one masterful stroke of genius, Jesus silences his critics and puts faith before politics. And he asks you and me to do the exact same thing. And so what we're going to do over the last uh, little bit this morning is we're going to look at what it looks like to put your faith before politics. What does it look like when I do that? Here's the first thing. When I put my faith before my politics, so if you got notes this morning, here's your first blank. I acknowledge that God is in control. Now, this is going to shock some of you this morning, okay? But the world we know, as we know it, is not going to come to an end if your guy or gal doesn't get into the White House this November. Might be a shock, but, but, but you would think, based off of some of the stuff out there, that if the wrong person gets into the White House, the mountains are going to come falling down around us, a global apocalypse is going to be ushered in, and we're all going to break out with boils on our backs. But it's not going to happen. God is in control. Uh, a guy named Andy Stanley is a pastor, and he, he preached the message on politics recently, and he said this. He said, to all the 50-plus in the room, stop scaring the kids, Okay? <laughs> I think that's just great advice. Listen to this verse on politics found in the book of Romans. It says this. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It doesn't say if those governing authorities line up with what you believe. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And then just in case you missed that the first time, God wants to state again in the exact same verse, the authorities that, God, that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's, that's pretty straightforward. Whether you like the person who gets selected as our next president or not, the Bible says that they've been established by God. Government was actually his idea. He's a king. God's, he's the king of kings. He knows a thing or two about government. He's able to work through both good and bad leaders to accomplish his purposes. 
And so as we head into November, I would just encourage you, take a deep breath. God's in control. He reigns. He is seated on his throne in heaven. He cares for you. He cares for me just as much as he always has. It's gonna be okay. All right? Okay. Next, when I put my faith before politics, I accept my responsibilities to government while keeping them subject to my responsibilities to God. I keep my responsibilities to government, I accept my responsibilities to government while keeping them subject to my responsibilities to God. There are some that look at Paul, the political scene today, and they just think, eh, it's all corrupt, um, it's, it, it's all beyond me, it, it's broken, I'm not even going to bother voting, I'm just going to do my thing, I'm just going to let them do theirs, whatever, blah, 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 politics, bleh, that's, that's for someone else. According to Jesus, that's not an acceptable position to take. Jesus' words to those trying to trap him were, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And what his answer says to you and to me is that we have responsibilities to both government and God. It says that government does have a rightful place in our lives, that we can be subject to both God and government at the same time, and that we have both political responsibilities as well as spiritual responsibilities. Now, saying this is easy. Actually living it out is very complex. Just ask the early church. You know, they, they hid in caves and catacombs fearing that the government would come any day and throw them to the lions in the Colosseum or tie them to poles, light them on fire, and use them to, as torches to light up their parties. This is what the political parties of the early church's day this is how, how they lived. It, it's to the church suffering through all that that Paul wrote the words that we just read about, about being subject to the governing authorities and, and how God establishes government. And so how, how we should respond as a church when government acts in a way that is totally ungodly it, it is not an easy answer. We will need the wisdom of Christ if we're to respond right. But just because government and politicians don't act the way that I think they should, should act, doesn't negate my responsibility to them. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write the Bible. God did. But we've got responsibilities to both government and to God. We should accept our responsibilities to government while subjecting them to our responsibilities to God. Next, when I put my faith before my politics, I base my political engagement on Jesus' model of cultural engagement. Now, that's a bit of a loaded phrase, so just let me unpack that for us this morning a little bit. Um, so earlier, we talked about this whole worldview. Um, your worldview is like you, get a, you pick up a set of glasses, and you put that on, and it changes how you see the world. Um, as Christians, our worldview sees our ultimate responsibility as glorifying God. As Christians, that's, that is our ultimate responsibility. It's to bring glory to God, to lift high the name of Jesus. And the primary way that we do that isn't by electing the right senators and the right congressmen, the right governors and the right presidents. The primary way that, that we glorify God is by loving God and by loving people. Jesus said that the greatest command is that's greater than any other is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And then he said the second is like the first, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is the person you work with. It's the person you live beside, the person you rub shoulders with in the coffee shop. It's the student that you sit beside in class for all you students. On a broader level, so we got all these neighbors around us, on a broader level, all our neighbors are those who make up the culture that we live in. Jesus says that the way that we engage them is with love. We see Jesus doing this all the time in Scripture. He loves the prostitute. He loves the dishonest tax collector. He loves the person addicted to money. He loves the outcast. Jesus' model, the way that he engaged the culture around him, was through love. Notice he didn't say to love your neighbors if they share the same political viewpoint as you do. He didn't say that. He says, love your neighbors, period. In other words, love them whether you agree with them or not. And if we don't think Jesus is serious when he says that we engage with love, all we have to do is look at the 12 group of men that he assembled to be his first disciples. There were Galilean fishermen. There were, uh, these guys were, they were blue collar, working class, rough, scarred hands. They smelled like fish. Then there was a tax collector. Uh, a tax collector was a Jewish collaborator with the, the evil Roman government. He was viewed as a traitor by the Jews. Tax collectors, they often dressed in long, flowy robes and were even kind of effeminate to show their superior, or superiority. They perfumed and painted themselves. Um, so imagine Jesus, he's got this group of fishermen, and then he invites this tax collector to come and join his little posse he's got going on. Imagine the, the response of these rough, scarred, these blue-collar fishermen when Matthew joins the group. And then there was Simon the Zealot. So a zealot was this radical guy, this revolutionary. He was not above using violent revolt, revolt to achieve his end. Simon would have had a, a natural hatred towards the fishermen for being kind of a part of the economic system of the day. And then uh, he would have had a hatred for the tax collector because he would, Simon the zealot would have looked at the tax collector and gone, okay, this guy, man, he works for the man. He, he works for the big evil government. Jesus assembled guys like this. If Jesus was to come along today and if Jesus was to get a group of people and assemble them to be his, his, his 12 disciples, his group might have looked something like this. A union steel worker, a bank CEO, a Black Lives Matter activist, an Occupy Wall Street protester, a farmer, an IRS bureaucrat, a logger, and a Greenpeace activist. But it was to this group of wildly different individuals that Jesus looked in the eye and he said these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said that to, to these guys. Love is how we're to engage one another. Love is how you're to engage that person at work whose political viewpoints are so different than yours that it just makes you angry and it makes you mad. Jesus says you're to engage with love. Love is how we engage one another. Despite how different our backgrounds may be or how different our, our political viewpoints may be or how different our, our just approach to life may, might be, 
Love is how we engage one another. Scripture also says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners in exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then in that context, so living good lives among those who, who don't, who haven't yet put their faith and trust in Jesus, that's the context. Scripture goes on to say, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, so in our case, the president, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Engage culture, engage politics with a heart of love. It is the higher law that is followers of Christ that we've been called to. Do that, and you'll be more concerned about keeping the relationship than being right. Do that, and you might actually be able to have influence where normally you might not have any. Do that, and you'll find yourself responding to people based off of whether, not, not based off of whether or not you agree with their politics, but you will find yourself responding to people based on the fact that they are made in the image of God. Next, when I put my faith before my politics, I will follow the wisdom of godly interactions with people I disagree with. So this last, um, last series that we were involved in was Proverbs, and Proverbs had a lot of wisdom on how we are to in- interact with people. And, and some of that I just want to come back to this morning. Um, I don't know what it is, but every four years, it's like we just think that we've got this privilege of throwing the, the nice rule book out the window. And um, the next time you're about to let loose on someone who disagrees with you, remember this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, the Bible says. The next time that you're about to bring up politics at the in-laws, who you know see things differently than you, and you get a little bit of pleasure by just bringing it up and like getting into it for the sake of just getting into it, remember this. Scripture says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. So the dinner table at Father's Day just might not be the right circumstance to bring up the political viewpoint that you have that you know everybody in the room does not have. We're going to move through these last few here really quick. Next, when I put my faith before my politics, I choose to be a learner and not a critic. Don't be so quick to be defensive rather than being combative and argumentative and just fight, 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 fight. Take the posture of a learner. Ask questions. Ask the person that you're talking with why they believe the way they do. Ask them how they came to that conclusion. And don't ask with a cocky smirk on your face. Take the the position of a learner. Ask in humility. The Bible says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Next, when I put my faith before my politics, I commit to knowing God's platform more than man's platform. As you're deciding who to vote for in the fall, you need to have a voter guide in one hand and your Bible in the other hand. And there are some who just let the political party, you let the the platform determine who you're going to vote for no matter what. Um, But can I just encourage you to let God's word be your guide? After all, if we're trying to see the world and make decisions through a biblical worldview, it would only make sense that we let God's word be our guide. 
dig into what he says. Don't vote according to party, but according to biblical principles. Um, author and pastor Timothy Keller, he talks about the political conundrum of Jesus. Conundrum of Jesus. He, he said this, the quote's in your, your, your notes. He said, here's the conundrum of Jesus. In terms of justice, Jesus is more conservative than the greatest conservative. In terms of grace, Jesus is more liberal than the greatest liberal. So I'd encourage you, as you're heading into November, let the Bible be your, be your guide. Dig into God's word and ask for wisdom as you decide on who to vote for. And then lastly this morning, when I put my faith before my politics, I acknowledge that the biggest problem in the world is not a political problem, but a heart problem. The biggest problem in the world is not politics, it's not parties, it's not decisions, it's not laws that are being made, it's, it's not who's, who is or who isn't in the White House. The biggest problem in the world is not a political problem, it, it's a heart problem. The problem isn't, it's, it's not slipping morality. The problem is not bad p- politicians. That might surprise some of you, but it is not, that, that is not the problem in the world today. It's not weak laws. If all these were the problem, then Jesus would, 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 would have come to earth. He would have set up a throne. He would have got his royal kingly scepter. He would have sat down on that throne. He would have stayed on earth, and he would have, he would have rearranged all the laws in the land to, to line up with his, his laws. But he didn't do that. He didn't do any of that. He didn't set up a palace. Instead, he died on a cross because he knew that our biggest problem is that we are lost in our sin and that we are in need of a Savior to die and to rescue us from that sin. The answer, the answer to the world's problems, the answer has always been the shed blood of a risen Savior, and Jesus came to be that Savior. Are your politics above your faith? Do you have things maybe flipped the wrong way around? You've got your politics up here and your faith down here and your politics just drive, they just drive everything. My challenge to you as we move forward in this, this, this election season that's just, I don't know about you, but to me it just seems, yeah. <laughs> that's all I can think to say, but it's just crazy this year. My challenge to you is just as we move forward is to put things in the right order, to put your faith before your politics, to trust that Jesus is in control, to respond to others in Christ-like love, and to make it your prayer that more than anything, this nation will come to know Jesus as the only hope, that they'd come to know Jesus as the light of the world, that they would come to know Jesus as the Savior who can, who can come and forgive and take their guilt and their shame. My prayer is that 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 would be our prayer this year. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad today that you are on the throne. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that that Scripture says that the Lord reigns. And, and, And because the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Scripture doesn't say let the earth be afraid and terrified. No, let the Let the earth rejoice and be glad because, Jesus, you reign. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that that we as as your church, Jesus, that that would be our posture, that, God, we wouldn't be full of fear and trepidation and just freaked out because we don't know how things are going to go and we're scared that it might go here or it might go there. 
Lord, I pray that we would have a smile on our face this political, this, this election cycle because we know that our God reigns. God, may we be rooted in that. May we be confident in that. And then, then God, I pray that out of that, that, that Jesus, out of that knowledge that Jesus, you are in control, that Jesus, we would just be people that, that Lord, accept our responsibilities to government while subjecting them to our responsibility to you. God, may we be people that, that, are, that are wise with the, the words that we speak to our family and friends, God, who, who don't agree with us. Lord, may we be just, may the words that come out, may they just be seasoned with graciousness, humility. God, may we not be just this, th- these people that are known for being angry and just against everybody. God, may we just be humble people who stand up for truth, who stand up for righteousness, Lord, who live according to your word and make our decisions based on your word. And so, Father, we're, we're going to need your help in that. God, I, Lord, it's just, it, it's just a complicated, complex thing, Jesus, to, be, uh, to, to, be, to accept our responsibilities to the government while at the same time, Lord, just um, living according to your word. It's, it's, it's complicated, but Jesus, I pray that you would help us to do that. And, and so we just ask for your Holy Spirit to help us in that. And Father, I would pray this morning that Jesus, more than anything, Father, those people that we, we, we live alongside, we work alongside, Jesus, we pray for our state. God, we pray for our nation. That Jesus, you would breathe on our nation life. Lord, that our nation would know you as the truth, the way, and the life. That Jesus, uh, those that we, we live and work around, God, who just see politics and see politicians as being the answer. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that they would begin to see, Lord, that you are actually the answer. That Jesus, you coming as the Savior, dying on the cross for our sins so that we could have life, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could have the hope of eternal life. God, that, we, that, that those around us who don't know you would begin to see that you are the answer. And Father, may they see through our lives, through the way that we love them and care for them, God, may they see, Jesus, that, that you're, you're the answer. And Father, I just wanted this morning just just lift up to you, um, Orlando. God, this last week, Jesus, just the, the tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that has struck that city. And Lord, just the, the political stuff that's that's been a part of that, that's been injected into that. Lord, I just want to pray that through all of that, the tragedy and the way that that's being so politicized, that Jesus, you would come in and make yourself known. Lord, I pray, Father, that the lost of that city, Jesus, would see the church shining like a bright light and that, Jesus, they'd be drawn to you. I pray, God, that through the tragedy, through the shooting and, Lord, everything that's gone on, that, Jesus, Lord, you would just be, you would make yourself known, Father, to those that don't know you, that, they, that you would make yourself known. God, I just see people being shown love who are just not expecting to be shown love from the church. And God, I, I, I just pray that through that, God, your name would be lifted high. That God, you would draw people, draw people to yourself. God, it's tough to look at a, at a tragedy and see how any good could come out of that. But God, you are great. And we pray that out of the tragedies that have happened this last week in Orlando, that Jesus, your name would be lifted high. That Jesus, people would find you. They'd find the hope that there is in you. So Father, I just want to just close this morning in prayer and ask Jesus that you would help us. Help us to be a light. Help us to love others like you loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said this morning, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen.